African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. This is African Dialogue. Thank you so much for joining us. We're coming to you from a very rainy, cloudy and cold Johannesburg right here in South Africa at the headquarters of the SABC. You can listen to us live on our DSTV audio bouquet. We're on channel 802. You can also live stream us via our website and our address is www.channelafrica.com. .co.za. Coming up on the program, we'll be speaking to the former public protector of South Africa, Professor uh, Tulima Donzela, about all things uh, constitution, gender equality, and the office of the public protector and uh, the authority, the integrity that it's supposed to hold. Then we go to what's trending with Dumelo Zulu. We look at the COVID-19 situation in Brazil. And then we end off by looking at that catastrophic situation in Mozambique where there are efforts to assist those affected by Cyclone Eloise. Without further ado and wasting time, we uh, have the privilege of speaking to advocate and professor of law, uh, Tulima Donzela. Uh, I I don't want to go into detail reading her profile uh, and her accolades because I want to use this precious time to to speak to her that she has given us, um, that she has spared uh, for us so that we can just have a chat and talk to her. We have her on the line uh, right now. Thank you so much for giving us your time, Professor Madonzela. It is a privilege. Thank you for for it. How have you been keeping at the during this time? It's been hard hearing stories about people dying, businesses dying, and people getting hungry. But also, there's been a lot of hope, mostly inspired by the levels of humanity among the people that are in my network and the understanding that this too shall pass. How challenging then was it uh, for you um, personally to adjust to this new normal that we find ourselves in? It was very tough to adjust, but... I can't complain. I have a full-time job as a professor at a university. I know, for example, in the UK, even jobs of academics have not been secure. We are privileged that we still have these full-time jobs. It's been quite tough, though, to adjust because I'm also supporting the Tuma Foundation for Democracy, Leadership and Literacy. And with COVID, its operations have not been able to proceed as required. And then also just the burden of um, getting stories about people who are starving every day. it's, It's been tough to adjust to it, but thank God I have a spiritual regime and 
meditation and walking. And then, of course, the wonderful community that I'm part of that keeps me going. Uh, tell us briefly, uh, Professor, about your road to um, studying law. What motivated you to, to focus on law and uh, gender equality? I suspect it was the experiences of my own parents. My mom and dad were informal traders after leaving full employment. Firstly, my father was discharged after being ill for a year and admitted at Baraguanath Hospital. And he kept being arrested for trading without a license. And my mom also had similar experiences. And people being arrested for past laws, women being kicked out of their homes because of the Black Administration Act, and and just my father's stories about people like Pixley, Kaseme, Mandela, and his own battles with the law mm-hmm. defending himself in court. I think all of that. But I do think that the real turning point came in 1976. Mm-hmm. This is now the June uprisings. Yes, and and the vicious manner in which the states responded, killing innocent children. You know, it's always said it was a youth uprising, but it was a children's uprising. Mm. And the state responded to these children so viciously. Mm. What was your role uh, during that uprising? Where were you during this time? I was at school. I already was studying at Eden Bering High School in Swaziland. Mm. And I only came home back in August because we used to come home for, for, for school holidays. And I still remember the smoldering um, fires in, in Soweto because the whole of Chinatown, we had Chinatown close to my home <laughs> in, in Davini, between Davini and Kiptown. It was raised to the ground and mm. a whole lot of bottle stores because people felt that uh, alcohol was the opium mm. of the people, preventing people from taking oppression seriously. So bottle stores were destroyed and defiled. So the, and then there was also a lot of memorials at Regina Mundi in Soweto. And I think that's where a whole lot of um, conscientization took place. You, you then, um, you know, when I read your profile, you know, I see that you also have this passion for gender justice, for social justice. Uh, and, and I'm sure part of it was because of what you were seeing that was happening around you. Do you think that um, this passion for social justice and gender equality is uh, uh, something that society is lacking and maybe that's why we're not able to address some of these social ills? I think so. I think um, women have been oppressed in many ways in terms of gender and class and black women experienced and continue to experience triple oppression, race, class and gender oppression. 
and growing up, I could see my mother's struggles. I spoke about her being arrested for trading without a license. And I remember one vivid memory was when I must have been four because I was left looking after my sister who was a newborn. Mm. But also her struggles included gender-based violence. She telling us the stories about her first marriage, why that marriage disintegrated was because the husband beat her and she beat him back. But mm. <laughs> basically, um, those were experiences of patriarchy. Apart from my own family's experiences, I lived in Tamini to where families left the neighborhood as soon as the father died because the Black Administration Act allows me allowed male relatives to come and just kick you out of your own house mm. and take everything because women were not allowed to inherit from their own husbands. And if you didn't have a male child, then all was lost. And those were my observations as a child. And I think those were the observations that led me to the awakening to to gender equality. Incidentally, it was gender first for me. And I remember writing a play about it in, in, when I was 17. And, and, and then race second. Just my experiences of oppression, what I, what I felt viscerally was gender-based oppression first mm. before I awoke to race-based oppression. Mm. And that's the voice of uh, South African advocate and professor of law, Tuli Madonzela. Let's go for a break. When we come back, I mean, we can't speak to the former public protector without touching on politics, without touching on some of the controversial reports that um, were were investigated under her under her guard and the criticism that she got. How did she handle that? The importance of upholding the integrity uh, and the uh, the integrity of the public protector's office. We'll do that after the break. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9, and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa, rise. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Welcome back to African Dialogue and we're in conversation with uh, South African advocate and uh, professor of law Tuli Madonzela. She holds a chair in social justice at the Stellenbosch University since 2018. She served as the public protector of South Africa from October 2009 to 2016. Uh, among the many reports that she investigated, uh, one of them was regards to the former president Jacob Zuma's private homestead in the KwaZulu-Natal 
capital town of Nkandla. Her final report on security upgrades um, to Zuma's homestead titled Secure in Comfort, in Comfort was published in uh, March 2014. Madonzela found that Zuma had benefited unduly from these upgrades and her reports were met with uh, criticism and opposition from representatives of the African National Congress, calling it a political report. Let's continue our conversation now, uh, Professor. You... you investigated uh, this this uh, this was one of your very big investigations in terms of you know the south africans were waiting to hear what this report would say and whether um, the recommendations would be followed through personally and the criticism that came with the outcome of that report uh, personally how did you handle the criticism when you were in your safe space thank you i handled the criticism with the understanding that when people are hurting, they're going to kick and scream. And it doesn't matter whether they're hurting because you're wrong or they're hurting because they've been caught. And in this particular case, people were hurting because they've been caught. Um, There could never have been any justification for spending a quarter of a billion rand improving one person's homestead in a country that has been battling with poverty, joblessness, and inequality since the dawn of democracy. There could never have been any justification. There could also never have been a justification for taking money that was allocated by government to reduce poverty through urban renewal and taking that money and putting it into their renovations at the president's homestead because the funds there had run out. So in terms of just the objective facts, there was absolutely no reason to complain about the investigation. And those who read the report also did realize that it was a very balanced report. You will recall that, for example, the president told Parliament that no public funds were used to build him a house. The report confirmed that he said that, but it walked into his shoes and as a person who is Swazi and Zulu speaking, I understood that when a Zulu speaking person says Inzu or a house, mm. they mean the one where we sleep in. The other homes in a, in a normal Zulu, Zulu homestead have different names. And therefore, yes, a structure that was built for him, a double story house was built, which was called a visitor's lounge. And then that was built for him inside the perimeter, mm. which was his private property. He was given the benefit of doubt in the report on that particular issue. And also because there were conflicting reports about whether he ordered these luxurious items or they were given to him, he was given the benefit of doubt again. And what the report found him guilty of was failure to act 
once Rousseau, if you remember Mail and Guardian, Rousseau, a journalist, the late Rousseau, had raised the alarm. And, and therefore, I only held the president accountable for not acting to stop this, as required by Section 195 of the Constitution, mm. once the alarm bell had been raised. And then also, I also obviously had to hold him, hold him accountable for unjustified enrichment or improper enrichment, because obviously, whether it was his fault or not his fault, the truth is a quarter of a billion rand of taxpayers' money was spent on him and and had enriched his estate. But still again, it was, the report said he should pay a reasonable amount of that. So if I had been him, I would have really just complied with this report, and I think his fortunes would have turned out better had he just complied with this report. Mm. Now, how, how difficult was it for you to do this thorough investigation? And you have to you had to do due diligence to it as well, with the political pressure, the uh, pressure from the public. How how easy was it for you? Hard was it for you to balance? Yes. It is very difficult because there was a pushback from the security pol. Uh, there was a pushback from the security forces, and uh, somebody from the state security agency, the minister, then um, tried to push back against it, and then eventually some some other person tried to push back. So there was a whole lot of. Um, explanations why that investigation should not be done. And when we're listening to what is being said at the State um, Capture Commission, mm. of course, it's still to be verified. You then understand how the security forces were entangled and, and had lost their objectivity. Even after we had been given permission to fly to Nganla and go and assess everything, when we got there, there was a pushback against us going to get into some of the rooms. Mm. So eventually we saw some, but we couldn't go to the underground part of it mm. because there was a pushback. And given the fact that this happened after, just when I concluded the investigation into the Gupta plane that had landed at Waterkloof, Waterkloof yes. the first spy allegations surface and I linked them. It's quite interestingly, I linked them to the state security agency because the guy I just interviewed was so, so traumatized by the interview. <laughs> so, but anyway, so those had already surfaced and when we were going there, we felt, okay, now that they're refusing that we go the full Monty, mm. we're not going to push it. Um, let's just do what we must do to verify what was paid for and to what extent were those things compliant with the list of things, the authorized list of things that can be mm. paid for with state money for security purposes. Mm. Um, Professor Madonzela, I've got six minutes left with you, very precious six minutes, and I still have three important questions to, to ask you. Fast forward to now 2021, we've got a new public protector, a new leadership in the public protector's office. You know, the office of the public protector has been under fire for, for a long time now uh, with lawsuits uh, that they've been, they've been losing. 
has the image been tainted? And if so, how can this very important office redeem its uh, reputation? Well, the, 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 the best antidote, of course, to any bigotry or any pushback is excellence. And I have no doubt that, as we did, the Public Protector Office is constantly revisiting its processes to make sure that there's excellence. For example, for my side, when I was there and realized that we needed to standardize processes, I drafted a standard operating protocol that gives you guidelines from A to Z on how to to investigate this matter. And it includes a requirement that when there are allegations of corruption or impropriety, you must do a forensic. It's not a nice to do. Mm. So, for example, uh, I kept sending back the Fred Dairy investigation because it started during my time mm. because the team kept not doing the forensic part and kept not interviewing certain witnesses. Um, so I, I think the office will, will improve and hopefully um, as more people are, are trained because that's another thing. You, you need to constantly train your staff. Mm and constantly monitor that the standards are kept by everyone. So I have faith that things will keep getting better. Mm-hmm. What keeps you going? Hope. <laughs> what gives me hope? Hope and, and hope? faith in humanity. Faith in, I mean, hope based on the fact that I'm a Christian. Um, I believe in God and I believe that a whole lot of things that happen to us are the reason. But I also believe that there's something in humanity there's something that can be can't be killed in humans, mm. which is goodness. And often people do wrong things out of fear and ignorance. And uh, the more they know, the more they think better, things will get better. And I look at our country, where do we come from? From colonialism, apartheid, hard patriarchy to where we are. I just think that beyond COVID, we are going to use this crisis to become a much better nation and a leader, uh, a global leader in justice, social justice, and Ubuntu. And going forward, your plans, uh, would you stand for any political office? What are the plans no. for, for <laughs> Professor Matonsela? <laughs> no, I, I really am not aspiring for political office. My aspirations are about developing young people that will be better politicians than those we complain about. I work with the Tuma Foundation in Stellenbosch University. One of our programs is training young people on something we refer to as epic leadership. It is about designing leaders that are ethical, purpose-driven, impact-conscious, and committed to serve. I'm also working on this social justice M plan because I honestly believe that if we are to deepen democracy, sustain it, and develop as a nation, we need to capitalize on every person, on every village, on every ward. And one way of doing that is having this M plan. We call it a Musa plan. It's a Marshall plan like project that mobilizes resources, transforms the way we do policy, uh, 
in in other words, we do policy design in a manner that is always impact conscious and social justice conscious. And the idea is also to mobilize money from the public to invest in the municipal wards where too many people are left behind. And hopefully by 2013, we will have a stronger democracy that is based on every person's potential having been freed and everyone's life having been improved. Not just some lives improved, every life improved. Professor Madonzela, thank you so much for this privilege, for this honor, uh, giving us your time. We know your time is very precious to, to speak to us. We wish you all the best and stay safe. Thank you. It's been an honor. And that's the very humble uh, former public protector of South Africa, uh, advocate Tuli Madonzela. She's a professor of law at the Stellenbosch University. Let's go for a break and then we say good day to Dumelo Zulu.